At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sessingham. From Tia's rice pudding to grandma's cabbage soup, this week, WUSF reporters share some of their most treasured holiday food traditions. Cookies that look like reindeer may not win a baking contest, but they can help bring family closer together. Today, the Zest podcast producer, Dalia Cologne, introduces us to her family's reindeer cookies. I first learned about the recipe, if you can even call it that, from a coworker years ago. I was newly married with a nine-year-old stepdaughter, Arielle, and reindeer cookies seemed like a fun project for our little blended family. The instructions were simple enough. Shape cookie dough into flat triangles, add two green M&Ms for the eyes, one red M&M for the nose, two small pretzels for antlers, and bake. As the years went by, Arielle grew taller and I grew busier. I eventually switched from homemade dough to store-bought, but we always made time for reindeer cookies. Today, Arielle is a 5'10 college basketball player in North Carolina, and my husband and I now have two young children of our own at home. I'm Nora, and I'm seven years old. I'm Benji, and I'm three. I'm Braulio, and I'm too old to discuss that right now. Last week, Braulio, the kids, and I set out to keep the tradition going. Benji, it's cookie time. I'm going to crack the eggs. We're not using eggs. We're just going to do it the easy way with cookie dough that I bought at the store. But it will still be fun. Nora, open the M&Ms and pour them into a bowl. Now, Benji, you open the pretzels, pour them into the other bowl. Whoa, too many. Eventually, we steered our cookie ship back on track, and we helped the kids shape their dough. It's like an upside-down triangle, okay? Yeah. These are going to be yummy. When we're done, maybe we could take them over to some neighbors. Would that be a good idea? I bought boxes we can put them in, too, from the dollar store yesterday. Oh, that's too many noses. No. Rudolph only has one nose, not two. Daddy's looks really nice. Daddy's will go to the neighbor and Benji's will be for us to eat. No, mine. Yours can go to the neighbor. Yours passes inspection. Benji's look like a, well, I don't want to say that because I was going to say he looks like a rescue reindeer. (laughs) 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 I'm using that. I'm keeping that in. Finally, we got the cookies into the oven. All right, guys, we'll see you in a bit. And we were ready for a taste test. Yum, 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 yum. With that resounding review from Nora, we set out to deliver the cookies to our neighbors. We started with Harry and Vonda next door. This is very nice of you. <laughs> Thank you so much for these wonderful, wonderful Christmas cookies. Then it was down the street to greet the new neighbors. Is anyone home? <laughs> All right, let's go to the next house. Mm, maybe next year. Next, we went across the street to Alma's house. You're welcome. But they're very lovely. We always enjoy all your cookies. 
So thank you so very much to the Colon family. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. <laughs> there was one more member of the Cologne family we couldn't forget, Ariel. The day after our baking session, I mailed her a package at college. I asked her to record a voice memo when she opened it. So we've got some mail. Oh, reindeer cookies from Santa. Uh-oh. They're nice and crumbled up, so. Mm. Mm-hmm. Very tasty, as I expected. Because no matter how tall you get, you're never too big for Christmas cookies. For Florida Matters, I'm Delia Cologne. That was the Zest Podcast producer, Delia Cologne. For my family, holidays usually centered around the beauty and the bounty of the Manatee River and my parents' home there. Several years ago, I talked to my father about his smoked mullet, always a sought-after treat for his friends. The years have passed, and he's no longer able to throw a cast net, but it remains an enduring holiday memory. My father, Bob Trone, has been catching and smoking mullet at his home on the Manatee River in Palmetto for more than a quarter century. When our extended family all congregate there at Christmas time, there's always enough smoked mullet to eat and to give away to friends. I decided to follow my father around the dock one weekend to see how it's done. Mullet are vegetarians. It's harder to catch them with a fishing pole because they don't really eat shrimp or little fish. So most people use a cast net to catch them, and it takes a lot of practice. My father's been at it for a long time. I do it every weekend, done it every weekend for 25 years. I've finally become adept at it. The cast net is 12 feet around, and it's got a fringe of lead weights all the way around it. Dad puts an edge of it in his mouth, and then he drapes four or five drapes over his shoulder. Then he flings it like a frisbee out onto the water, the weight pulling the rest of it off of his shoulder and out onto the water. And then when he pulls it through a rope in its center, the weights close in around the fish beneath them. That's a mullet. That's a mullet. A lot of mullet. These get stuck in the net. How did you know there was mullet there? Uh, I saw him moving on the bottom. He can spend hours out on the dock watching the water and waiting for a fish to jump. I've come to realize that he shows enormous patience when he's doing this. He seems to enjoy the waiting as much as the catch. My father's friends love his smoked mullet. If the fish are too small to smoke, he fries them. He fillets them, dips them in cornmeal and fries them. The ones that are big enough, he he smokes. he burns mangrove driftwood in an old Weber grill. Citrus wood is good smoke wood. But this is the best. Wood is a secret season. He smokes the fish anywhere from two to four hours. That one is about ready. How do you know, do you know when it's ready? I just know when they look good to me. That's Bob Trone, my father, giving me some insight into how he makes such delicious smoked mullet. When WUSF reporter and co-host of Morning Edition, Jessica Mazzaro, sat down with her aunt, Josefina Ochoa, better known as Tia Pepe, 
There were lots of laughs. Jessica spoke with me about the extra love that goes into creating their family's rice pudding. Jessica, thanks so much for bringing in your rice pudding. I can't wait to try it. Thank you for inviting me and allowing me to share with you. So you got this recipe from your aunt. Is this mm-hmm. on your mother's side or your father's side? My mother's side. Okay. My tia Pepe. That's her nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, her actual name is Josefina or Josie Ochoa, but um, I've grown up to know her as Pepe. That's her nickname, Pepita. And she's always made this dish. Is this something that you think of when you think of her? As soon as we were talking about in the newsroom about traditions and holidays, uh, the first thing I thought of was, oh, Diaz rice pudding immediately. Because ever since I was growing up, she would come around on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and she would have a Tupperware for us. And she does that for everyone she knows. <laughs> That's her gift. And you talked to her about it. She she told you the story of, of, of this recipe and everything. She did. Um, she did share that with me. I got to chat with her and that was a fun experience. It was, she was very excited. We got to have a really fun conversation, a lot of laughing um, and uh, questioning my cooking skills. So that, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Hello. Hola, tia. Hola, como estas? I'm good. How are you? Okay. So are you ready to talk about rice pudding? Sure. I'm ready. Where did you learn how to make this? Well, I learned it by my best, best, best friend that we know since we were nine years old. And she said, you know, I found out a, a rice pudding that is very good. And I said, okay, well, give it to me. And I started doing it. So she did it. I tried. I loved it. So I started doing it since then. And probably it's like more than 30 years ago. Wow. And what is special about this to you? It's a special when people try it and say, mmm, que rico. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. Even the people from the CVS, I give them two in Christmas, and they say, where's my rice pudding? <laughs> the people at CVS, even, they, they know that that's yeah. the, it's that time of year? I, I give rice pudding to it. When I was working, almost everybody eat it. Mm-hmm. I love to give away rice pudding. Has the recipe evolved, or has it always been the same? No, always the same. My opinion is that if you do something always the same way, that's what I do by by, by amount, by ingredients. I I do it all the way, the same way. So it always is the taste is the same, always. Hmm. If you if you try to put a little bit of this and a little bit of that, oh, forget it. It's not going to get the same way. And that's the way I learned to cook in school here in the United States. Not a rice pudding, though, mm-hmm. but all that kind of food, and that's the way I do it, because here is everything is by ingredients, the, the amount of ingredients. We Latin people, we don't use that. <laughs> <laughs> what do Latin people do? <laughs> it's, just, it's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, <laughs> and you like to be more specific. Yeah, yeah. And um, do you remember, like, when you just decided that you're going to start making gallons of this stuff and giving to everybody? I think it was this, the second time I did it, and then people that I had given to try, they like it. I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do for Christmas. And that's how it started. I'm very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> It just reminds me of my childhood. It reminds me of playing in your house and everything. Oh, you're going to get your rice pudding when you come home. 
<laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate you sharing uh, your secrets with me and for our listeners. Thank you for thinking of me. I of course. Thank you very much. I love you very much. Bye. <laughs> Kisses. Besitos. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> How are your cooking skills? They're pretty good. I mean, this tastes and looks just like hers. I think that's more based on her direction um, and the fact that she's very much sticks to a recipe. She doesn't like to just put a little of this and a little of that. Ah. She likes to stick with the recipe so it tastes the same every time. So they know like this, this is her rice pudding. Let's try it. All righty. It looks beautiful. So you have it in a um, just in a square dish and you've got some uh, cinnamon sticks placed decoratively on top, which looks really nice. Is there cinnamon in the recipe? So yes, uh, there are three cinnamon sticks okay. that you're cooking it with. Now, this was already a surprise because this wasn't like the Cozy Shack uh, rice pudding that's kind of, or rice pudding a lot of us are familiar with that's um, very pudding-ish and loose. Mm -hmm. This is baked almost, Mm -hmm. right? It's really thick. So it comes out, it's thick, and uh, did you bake it in the oven? No, I did not. Okay. So that's a secret of hers, too. It's a lot of love and care that goes into this because I'm supposed to be... um, using the, sp- the cooking spoon to grab the rice and pull it toward the wall of the pot constantly for an hour. And that creates the thickening. And that also, um, it, it just allows it to get creamier and thicker. Wait, so. you stood over this for an hour? Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> That's where all the love comes in. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's it's delicious. It really is different. So. What am I tasting? So the mm-hmm. spices in this, is there lemon? Mm. So, sorry, I'm cutting my mouth full. <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> so good. Um, I'm glad you like it. So this is what my childhood tastes like. Mm-hmm. Um, you start off with three cups of water, and then you let that boil down um, to the rice. And once that happens, you just put in the rest of the recipe. You put in the, the milk, the salt, the sugar. There's a tablespoon of vanilla, three cinnamon sticks, and a whole lime peel. And that's all together. The lime peel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what gives it that zesty (laughs) it gives it that sort of like florida caribbean there's just yeah i knew there's some citrusy Mm -hmm. taste in there that i have never tasted lime in a rice pudding usually you get the cinnamon or cloves or the spicy Mm -hmm. things like that yeah it's delicious i'm glad you like it so do you usually um you brought it in cold you had it in the refrigerator Mm -hmm. do you usually warm it up or do you you can warm it up I've always had it cold because by the time it comes to me Mm -hmm. um it's been you know she makes it like I said by the gallons and so she brings it to our home Um, I'm from Miami and so she would come uh she would visit us at my parents house and she would bring us and and we put it in the fridge and I'd eat it cold so this is how I've always just eaten it just straight out of the fridge just like this wow that's wonderful so was she excited to share the recipe was she happy you asked she was she was actually really touched and she she got emotional about it and uh, thanked me for thinking of her and that my rice pudding reminds her of Christmas just really cheered her up. And it's the whole reason why she makes it, I came to find when I spoke to her. So where is she living now? My aunt lives in Miami, still in the same home where I grew up. And she, you know, took care of me when I was a baby in that same home. And this rice pudding really reminds me of her house. And her house is such a big part of our family. It's like one of the, the biggest homes in our family. And she has a pool. So all the pool parties would happen there. And all of uh, the Cuban parties, you know, at night that, you know, people salsa dance into the night parties are the best parties (laughs) i know and just all the the best food and all the kids could just run around the house and then everyone when we get tired we just watch them dancing all night and um so this rice pudding just reminds me of that it reminds me of my childhood is there a spanish name for this like arroz Mm, arroz con leche 
Arroz con leche. Mm -hmm. okay. Thank you for sharing the arroz con leche with us. And <laughs> thank you, Robin. That was WUSF reporter and co-host of Morning Edition, Jessica Mazaros. You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sessingham. We're taking a short break and we'll be right back. I'm Robin Sessingham, and you're listening to Florida Matters. WUSF multimedia reporter Daylena Miller traditionally celebrates the pagan tradition of Yule. Daylena sat down to take us through the celebration of the sun and how Yule logs moved from the hearth to the oven. Hi, Daylena. Hi, Robin. So, Daylena, you have been making something called a Yule cake or a Yule log. So have you been doing this for a while? Yeah, I've been celebrating Yule myself for probably about 10 years. Uh, the Yule log cake is something that I've probably been doing for the last five. Do you serve it on Christmas, though? Like, when do you have, you're together for the holidays? I typically serve it on the winter solstice, which is December 21st, 22nd, depending on the year when it falls. Um, I go to winter solstice um, Yule celebrations with local pagan groups, um, and they vary from group to group as far as the traditions. Their paganism is an umbrella for a lot of different churches traditions and a lot of different religious backgrounds. And so uh, the flavor of Yule or winter solstice sort of changes depending on the group you're with. You know, mine is a time to get together, typically around a bonfire. Um, you know, you typically do what's called cake and ale, you know, in these, uh, in these, these rituals. And uh, the Yule log is typically my contribution to it. It's a tradition that was sort of absorbed into Christianity mm -hmm. uh, between the 8th and the 12th centuries, um, but it started off as a pagan tradition. Uh, you burn a Yule log in the hearth, you light it, it brings uh, good luck for the coming year, you let it burn until it burns itself out, and you use the ashes in the, the following year's Yule log. You're not supposed to, uh, you're not supposed to dampen the fire, you're supposed to let it burn itself out. So instead, some people have sort of, um, you know, grown to do these, these Yule log cakes, and so um, you know, they, they look like logs. It's sort of a, a roulade, you know, which is a cake that looks like wood. And uh, and it looks kind of like a big Swiss roll. Okay. And so it's, and it's not made with flour. It's it's a lot of sugar and, uh, you know, confectioner sugar, granulated sugar, uh, vanilla extract, heavy cream, that sort of thing. And so you make an icing component and then you make like the cake component, which bakes and then has to be rolled up. And some people decorate it with additional icing to look like bark. Sometimes they use um, almond slices for little pine cones. So you're not making this red green with candy canes on it. This more really, you try to really make it look like the Yule log. Yeah, it depends on the recipe. Would there. you do a chocolate one then? Absolutely. Hazelnut. Mm -hmm. Some people use pistachios. So it really depends on the person's tradition, the person, the person's taste preferences. I've seen them with crushed peppermint on top. Mm -hmm. I've seen them with peanut butter filling. Um, it's not any less a Yule log, but I really do like the idea personally of making it look like one. So what's the reaction from people when you bring that? Are people looking forward to it? Yeah, I think a lot of people, when I'm taking it for family, they're not necessarily, most of my family doesn't celebrate Yule. So for them, it's just a big uh, Swiss roll. And so they really enjoy it. it um, depending on the ingredients, my version is a little bit of a lighter tasting cake. So um, it's a little more spongier, like an angel food cake. So it doesn't feel quite as heavy as some of the pies and the other things you're eating that time of year, which is nice. Um, you know, and when I take it to my winter solstice and Yule rituals, you people recognize it for what it is. And they like, and even though we have a bonfire going, that is not a traditional uh, Yule log either because it, it does have to be put out at yeah. some point. And so, you know, we have sort of this combination of the bonfire and the Yule log cake that sort of forms our, our version of a Yule log. 
Daylina, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Robin. I appreciate it. That was WUSF multimedia reporter Daylina Miller. WUSF reporter and co-host of All Things Considered, Carrie Sheridan, spent a day with her 96-year-old grandmother, Olga Smith, recreating a traditional soup made by their Ukrainian ancestors. They traveled from the butcher shop to the kitchen and down memory lane as they cooked up some homemade borscht with a personal twist. I pick up my grandmother at the assisted living place. She comes out and greets me with a smile. She gets in the car, we chat a bit, and eventually I tell her I'm recording. Oh my gosh. I call her Mima, and she's super sweet. She's 50 years older than me, so she's 96, but lately she's preferred not to dwell on the exact number. 96 whatever. Whatever. She looks way younger. She's really healthy, swims nearly every day, and takes no medications. don't need it. Why should you take it? You don't need it. Sometimes, when doctors ask how she's managed to stay so youthful, she credits the soup she ate a lot as a child. Soup again? My father said, eat. Because <laughs> he loved it, you know. The soup had cabbage and a tomato base. Kapusta, they called it. Capusta? Capusta, oh, yeah. yeah. Cabbage soup. Oh. Capusta. Oh, okay. So it's not borscht? That's something well, different. Huh? Yeah, well, it's, we knew it was borscht and capusta, same thing. Yeah. Well, Mima's parents were born in Ukraine. They emigrated to the United States as young adults. Her father arrived in 1912, her mother in 1914. They both worked at a wire factory in Cortland, in upstate New York. That's where they met. We talk about what a hard worker her mom was, how she wove wire at the factory until it cut her hands and she had to cover them in ointment, how she was skilled at embroidery too, how her father kept his own garden when he wasn't working at the factory. And she tells me other stories I didn't know. My father took up smoking when he was working at the wire factory. Oh yeah? Yeah, because he, you know, he was with other guys and that's how he took up smoking. Oh. And my mother hated it, and she made him smoke outdoors, you know. So he had to sit out on the back porch there and smoke. (laughs) She was the boss. (laughs) My great-grandmother, Baba, died before I was born. But my mom remembers her soup. She says it all starts with a good soup bone, like a chuck roast. But I've looked at the grocery stores and I can't find one. They're all boneless. So Mima and I stop at Southern Steer Butcher in Sarasota. My mom was saying it was like a chuck roast with a bone in it, but can you... They don't even really cut them that way. The butcher tells us it's tough to get those these days. You'd almost have to go straight to the farm and make a special order. I've actually never seen a bone in one before in the four four years that I've been doing this. But I have heard of them. You're correct, they used to do it all the time back in the day. It's just what people want now is that's not sought after. We end up settling on a pork shank. Mima says that will do just fine. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, have a great day. We get back to my house and get to work. Okay, so. I pick a big soup pot and get out the pork shank. I fill the pot with water, about three quarters full. Next, I scour the fridge for vegetables. There's celery, garlic, carrots. 
Mima tells me to put it all in. Next, canned tomatoes. We also throw in some spinach and cabbage. Mima takes a seat at the kitchen counter. She tells me her mother never really taught her how to make this kapusta or borscht. She says she probably wasn't interested in learning, and when she had a family, she just figured out her own way. I show her a borscht recipe that my mom, her daughter, sent me from an old Ukrainian cookbook. Mima starts reading it and is skeptical. Blend the flour with three tablespoons of cold water, spoon into it some soup liquid, and then stir into the borscht. Why would that be? I never, we never did that. <laughs> if a thickened borscht is not desired, oh, that's to thicken it. Ah. No, we don't do that. A good borscht should be pleasantly tart, but not sour. No. <laughs> I never knew that. Beets are on the recipe, another thing our family never used. You know, my mother never put beets in. I don't know why, but uh, never asked her. Did you put a half clove of garlic, crushed if desired? I put three cloves of garlic in it. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. You have to make your own style, right? We call my mom for some final advice. A great big pot of soup she has, Terry. Oh, that's what you end up with, is a great big pot of soup. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any um, of those uh, hot peppers, you know, banana peppers? Yeah, I got some hot ones and some mild ones right here, yeah. Yeah, you want to put a little bit of that juice in. Like, say, just before you serve it, you want a tablespoon of that in your soup. Oh, okay. I'm not saying put it in everybody's soup, but, you know, that's a, that's kind of a... I remember Dad doing that. Do you remember that, Mom? No. Okay, well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and we all can have our own memories. You know? <laughs> we don't all have to have the same, as we know. <laughs> we let the soup simmer for a while, then take a taste. This needs a little salt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for showing me how to do it. Thank you for dinner. <laughs> Lunch. Very good. I let the soup simmer overnight, added some dill, and it tasted better the next day. The meat fell right off the bone. The soup was richer and definitely had some fat in it. It could use some acid, like lemon juice or the liquid from pickled banana peppers. I imagine it would have kept my family going during the long, cold winters in upstate New York or in the Ukrainian countryside. We made it our own way, at least close to the way they did. And the next day, my mom and Mima came over for, as Mima says, <laughs> Soup again. <laughs> and we ate it the same way we used to, with a side of brown bread and butter. I'm Carrie Sheridan in Sarasota. That was WUSF reporter and co-host of All Things Considered, Carrie Sheridan. Here's wishing all of you a happy holiday season. To see photos of our reporters, their families, and the holiday dishes, visit our website, WUSF.org, and click on the Florida Matters page. As always, you can also find Florida Matters wherever you get your podcasts. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. The producer is Christy O'Shauna. I'm Robin Sussingham. Thanks for listening.